What's up, y'all? We're back. We got Wade Lightheart on the podcast today. And Wade is a guy that I've been following for some time. Uh, first heard him on my dude, Paul Checks, Living 4D podcast, like many other guests. Um, just a really, really fantastic and fascinating story. He was a bodybuilder. Uh, he's researched a ton of stuff. He's taken a deep dive into the pitfalls of current <laughs> healthcare and come up with a lot of stuff through his research and development on his own and with his partner. And they formulated bioptimizers. They're, they're doing great stuff. These guys are absolutely incredible. But uh, Wade has a particularly cool story, and he dives and divulges into a lot of stuff on this podcast that he's never talked about before. So I felt really special getting him to open up like that and uh, take a deep dive with me. Uh, there are many ways you guys can support this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating so other people get to hear about this show. And check out our sponsors. They make this show absolutely possible. We can't do it without them. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is real, organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with lion's mane mushrooms for productivity and chaga mushrooms for immune support. Y'all know I love mushrooms. I mean, this stuff is absolutely loaded with a very high dose of lion's mane, which is one of the most famous mushrooms by now on the planet, thanks to companies like Four Sigmatic. I actually had Taro, uh, the CEO of this company, back on the show maybe two years ago now. I got to run it back with him because he's here in Austin. But we were out in LA and he has an incredible story and, you know, has been a mushroom man from the jump. You know, he was born uh, in Finland and his mother really knew about the plants and the fungi and everything that was going on. And it's, it's inherent in his culture. So, He's carrying the torch now. And I've been starting my day with this Four Sigmatic Ground Mushroom Coffee with Lion's Mane instead of regular coffee because it helps me focus. I mean, Lion's Mane is a nootropic in and of itself. And it also has a whole host of other things that it does for the brain. It's got chaga mushrooms in it for immune support, which is always good. You know, even in the face of our current times, uh, it's still important to top off on immune support. But um, this stuff is just incredible. It's, it's also easy on my gut. It doesn't leave me with an awful jittery feeling or midday crash. And uh, all their products are organic, vegan, gluten-free. Every single batch is third-party lab tested so they can ensure its purity and safety so you know you're getting the highest quality coffee and mushrooms possible. Um, it's just the best. And you're probably wondering, does it taste like mushrooms? I guarantee it tastes just like coffee. It brews dark and nutty and tastes incredible. These guys have over 20,000 five-star reviews. And best of all, they back their products with a 100% money back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. We've worked out an exclusive deal with Four Sigmatic for their best-selling mushroom coffee, but it's just for our listeners. That's right, nowhere else. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. Claim this deal. You must go to foursigmatic.com slash KKP. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash KKP. And you're going to get up to 40% off. Absolutely incredible deal here. For y'all, we're also brought to you by Sovereignty. Sovereignty has reformulated their old supplement Purpose to what is now called Purpose Plus. Purpose Plus is an Ayurvedic-inspired super formula that tackles daily energy and peak performance that will empower and support your mind and body to achieve new levels of productivity. Purpose Plus is a powerful blend of herbs and supporting constituents that energize and deliver what customers have described as Zen Focus. This Zen Focus is the result of a very careful combination of over 25 adaptogenic herbs, CBD and CBG, and seven clinically studied ingredients with scientifically supported synergistic substances 
supplements chosen for their support of cognition, energy, and mood. The result is focus you can feel. Sovereignty powdered supplements can make a functional drink that is perfect for boosting your mood, workouts, meeting your deadlines, and studies have shown that the clinically studied ingredients in it could even boost your sexual performance. Hey, oh, not happy with your results. They offer the money back guarantee for your first purchase within the first 30 days of your purchase. Use code KKP for 20% off your purchase. Head over to sovereignty.co slash Kyle and grab my favorite CBG supplements. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O slash Kyle and you'll get hooked up. We're also brought to you by Organifi. I've had my boy Drew Cannoli on the podcast. Drew just introduced me to some really cool people. He's out in Sedona, a California refugee, moved to Sedona and potentially looking into getting a spot here in Texas. So shout out to my boy Drew and the team at Organifi. Uh, They are absolutely incredible. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. Super important if you've been following this podcast. After experiencing his own transformation through the power of juicing superfoods, Drew Canoli, Organifi founder, set out to inspire others by helping them transform their health through personal coaching programs. Drew quickly realized there was a need for a solution that could give people access to the highest quality organic nutrition to support their health and wellness goals while on the go. These guys uh, have done an absolutely fantastic job. One of my favorite ways to start the day is with essential superfoods that help reduce stress and reset my morning, and that is with Organifi Greens Juice. This contains a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which many of y'all have heard about. It supports healthy cortisol levels, which aid in weight management, and it's just it just helps you feel good. It's got 11 superfoods for resetting the body and feeling amazing. It takes just 30 seconds, no chopping, juicing, or blending. Again, 600 megs of clinically proven ashwagandha, which is an adaptogenic herb, 100% USDA certified organic, and it is amazing stuff. Uh, Bear loves it. My wife loves it. We use it all the time. We've even gotten Wolf to have some. It's got moringa in it and chlorella and all sorts of other goodies that I'm just not going to take my time to make or chop or drink or juice or do any of these other ways that I can ingest this. I'm getting it from Organifi. Head over to www.organifi.com slash KKP and use code KKP for 20% off at checkout. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. And don't forget that KKP code at the end at checkout. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Belcampo Meats. Belcampo is one of my favorite farms on the planet. They are a regenerative agriculture farm up in Northern California, started by Anya Fernald, who was on the podcast. She's been all over the world. She studied regenerative agriculture, as well as being a cheesemaker in Europe and doing all sorts of cool stuff. She's an incredible chef and has an amazing backstory. So check out that podcast, but also check out Belcampo. I mean, every single thing that I've tried from these guys is phenomenal. It's the best bacon I've ever had, the best pork chops I've ever had, and the Lambert gaze is absolutely incredible. Lamb gaze is a grass-fed lamb that they spice like chorizo, form it into sausages. And one of the things that I've been doing is I'll start, I'll have like a breakfast bowl with this. I'll fry it in the pan, pull it out, then I'll cook my eggs in the grass-fed oil that's left behind. And then I pour that over with some sauerkraut and an avocado. And whether it's breakfast or lunch, it's probably the most amazing, tastiest treat I've ever had and one of the most nutritious things that I could possibly put in my body. They have a whole host of recipes on their website for free on how to cook their meats, how to prepare them, and every way in between. So if you're not a great chef and like myself, like I sometimes I'm in a pinch, I just need to do something quick, they got recipes like that. If you've got the time and you can brine and do things slowly, they have recipes for that. They've got everything you could possibly think of in the highest quality ingredients possible for yourself and for your families. Go to belcampo.com slash Kingsbury, and this will auto apply the code to hook you guys up. And of course, we will link to all this in the show notes, but belcampo.com slash Kingsbury, and you'll get an auto application of that code. Love y'all and welcome to the show, my dude, Wade Lightheart. 
Wade Lightheart, welcome to the show, brother. Great to be here, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I first heard you, uh, <laughs> this is getting old quick, I'm sure, for my listeners, but I first heard you on Living 40 with Paul Check and uh, absolutely loved your story. Talk about um, your life growing up and the trajectory that's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I guess it start. it was all relatively normal. I was just a, a kid that grew up in a small town, Canada, um, a blue collar family um, with good values. My mom was kind of like a really devout Christian woman. And my dad was a total like street fighter, <laughs> badass. <laughs> so it was an unusual combination with my parents, but life was relatively normal. Canada played hockey and sports and went to school. Um, I was very frustrated in the education system by the time of grade three, because they had stopped advancing people. And so there was some frustration there, I think, because the, the school system didn't cater me, but everything changed. Um, when I was 15 and at the time, oftentimes, I think a lot of people, there's moments in our lives that shape our destinies. And there was a short window that set a cascade of events that set the course of my life today. And that was one, we moved from a, a village of a, you know, couple thousand people, maybe to, 35 miles away. And it was literally five miles up a dirt road to where my family decided to live. They were caretakers for a very wealthy family in a private resort. So I was literally, you know, I had the uphill both ways in the wintertime. I take a snowmobile out to the bus. So I became very isolated and I wasn't very happy about that at 15. Um, however, it did provide me something that I think became valuable tool later. And that was I was forced into a, a semi-isolation. And in that, you become very reflective and contemplative. Simultaneously, uh, I was exposed to various different stratas of humanity. So there was the blue-collar people that, say, my parents and, you know, the, like the people that in the little com neighboring community and, you know, the people that are, you know, cutting the grass and working on the fishing boats and working in the lumber mills and things like that. Uh, very hard labor. And then there was the middle class that would come in as, as, uh, for business meetings at the lodge for, with the, uh, with the owner. And then there was the super wealthy, which was the owner in his group. And so I got to be exposed to a variety of different stratas and that was interesting. Um, and then the second thing that happened right after this was my sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a form of uh, cancer of the lymph nodes. And I watched her go through the medical model for the next four years before she died at the age of 22. She was four years my senior. And that had a huge impact on me because it, I recognized that, well, your life isn't a guarantee and your health isn't a guarantee. And I was left with the naive question as a 15 year old, we would take her home from chemotherapy treatments and things like that. And she'd be, you know, we'd stop five or six times on the 55 mile drive home and we'd have to stop so she could vomit, you know, six, five, six times on the way home. And I, I remember thinking to myself, gee, the, the treatment seems worse than the disease. I well, you know, and so I, I didn't have a, a confidence in say authoritarian systems, not to put the medical system, but I had the education system that I was suspicious of. And now I had the medical system that I was suspicious of. And then the third, so, but that set me up for one other piece. And the third thing was, 
at this, this is all a very small window. My sister gave me a bodybuilding magazine. It was a muscle and fitness and it had Troy Zuclato on the cover who had a, a blonde guy like me. And he had all these muscles and he had two pretty girls on the cover and he had just won Mr. California. And they were talking about this life living in California and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, wow, this looks really cool. Maybe if I had these muscles. And so I, I built a gym in my barn, um, you know, with sawhorses and pulleys and things like that kind of looked like Rocky when he fought Yvonne Drago in that movie. It was very much like that. <laughs> and uh, I started training and I, and I, I found Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the biggest television star in the world, a former Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia competitor. He was, you know, married to American royalty at the time with the Kennedy family. And he had a book called Education of a Bodybuilder. And in that book, you know, he said to me, I always think of him, he was my mentor. And when I read a book, I, I see the author talking to me. And he said, you know, you can achieve anything in your life if you have hard work, self-discipline, and a positive attitude. Well, everybody I knew worked hard. The, the work that people were employed with within my, you know, like social economic class was very hard and very tough. And all the men were rugged people and the women worked very hard in their, in their duties. And it wasn't hard, but this whole idea of self-discipline and a positive attitude was not something I'd heard before. It was not part of the social construct from which I was in. I was like, I embraced those principles and that sped me on my way through my career in, um, you know, going to ex taking exercise physiology at university and then beyond that through my various levels of my fitness career leading to Bioptimizers today many, many years later. That, that is incredible. Yeah, it's funny how many people... I mean, some people just don't get it, you know, but it's, it's funny how many people were affected positively by Arnold in the bodybuilding era. You know, I mean, that was my first entry point into, I mean, my dad had subscriptions to um, Muscle and Fitness and uh, Bill Phillips magazine. magazine. Yeah, Flex, Muscle, Muscle Media Mag. 2000, all those, you know, and, and I was just looking through them and I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't really want to look like that, you know, with the tanner and all that jazz and shaved body, but um I loved the physical appearance, you know, especially before in, in that era, you had guys like Frank Zane and um, different people that, that they, had, they had a very felt midsection, you know, they tapered yes. in, they looked more athletic. And then you'd, I'd read about guys like Flex Wheeler who ran wind sprints and could do the middle splits. And it was like, oh, okay, these guys are like doing ballet on stage and um, still can wipe their own ass. And, you know, like they're, yes. it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't what it transitioned to later. Um you know, still above and beyond where bodybuilding started, but but seeing that trajectory, it was it was a huge influence on my life. And I think that, you know, as people dove deeper into the brilliance behind it, um, certainly there's pitfalls, but there is a lot of brilliance. I read um, modern modern day encyclopedia of bodybuilding by Arnold, and it was like, holy shit! You know, that, something that stuck with me over the years. And anybody that I've done, you know, when I was a in, fighter in the UFC, I did a lot of personal training for people and things like that, and I'm. It's so funny how bastardized bodybuilding is because they'll give you your training, their training split. But in, in the Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, he's saying like beginner and intermediate levels are all complex exercises. You know, like you're, and that, that flowed very well with what I was learning at, at Arizona State with Joe Ken, Big House, and um, you know, Westside Barbell. A lot of that stuff is like you're, you're training compound movements because you're training for a movement, not necessarily for muscle group. But uh, 
you know, when you get into these dumbbell kickbacks and French press and single leg hamstring curls and all this other stuff, that's, I think that's where it kind of lost its athleticism and, and became, you know, more for aesthetic than for physical movement. But either way, you know, I, I know I'm going off on a tangent here. I mean, I say that to mention that Arnold had a wealth of knowledge, not just on the body, but he had a wealth of knowledge on manifestation. He had a wealth of knowledge on making your dreams come true. And, you know, his, his story is pretty, pretty freaking phenomenal with where he came from. So I could see how that would be a big inspiration for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, if I think it was Joe Weider said that when Arnold Schwarzenegger landed on the United States shores, his total subscription rate was 500,000, which was impressive. And then when he retired, um, in 1980 for the final time, um, the, the su- subscription ratio was over 7 million and Arnold Schwarzenegger made the today's fitness gyms, um, popular. There was bodybuilding at the time when Arnold was, there was very small group, but you, you caught something I think that was very important. And this is something that I think maybe the most valuable component you touched on. And I think Arnold's capability of visualization was certainly in what, what people would say the Joe Dispenza zone, his visualization of what he was going to be and how he was going to go and his almost trance-like state in his workouts. And, you know, if you look at great fighters and great athletes, I, I can think of um, the, the, the tennis star who won Wimbledon and they interviewed him and the, he said, well, how does it feel to will to to win Wimbledon? And he says, "Well, it feels exactly like the, uh, how I visualized it ten thousand times." <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's an understated aspect because I mean, you know, I mean, you're you're no uh, you're you're very aware of p- the pain that is involved in combat sports and you know the fear that goes along with it but your visualization of what you want to have happen or who you want to be is what can push you through uh, extraordinarily difficult circumstances and i think that's a message that everybody can resonate with like you know pick a big vision and you know work backwards from it and take the next step and that big vision can carry you through the darkest parts of our lives and i think that's a message that everybody needs to hear today because you know it's if you're going to be living in this thing called life, you're going to experience uh, pain and suffering and adversity. And if you can find meaning in that through a strong vision and a set of values, I think that's what really martial arts is about or any craft which you cultivate to a high level of proficiency. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, our, our, our good friend, Paul Check. that's that's Dr. Happiness, you know, in his last four doctors you'll ever need. It's Dr. Happiness that brings the vision or the dream that allows you to put in the work each day and have the discipline because there's that, that beautiful dream that you're dreaming into reality that makes it all worthwhile. And it's, it's kind of hard, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to dream big enough for a lot of people and actually believe it. Right, you got to believe whatever it is that you're, that you're working towards. If it's if it's out of reach, then it's always out of reach, and it's not going to come to fruition. But well, I think you know, that's a big you, one. You make a great you make a great point there, and, and I always share this with people because I get interviewed periodically, and they said, "Well, wait, you've had all this success in all these areas," and I, and they're like, "Well, what would you contribute to?" And I said, "I don't know. I think I was either too stupid or stubborn to quit. I didn't have skills in bodybuilding. I had no business being a bodybuilder, and that turned out all right. I, I wasn't a natural business person, and that turned out all right." And, you know, so I had these things, but 
what I did is I went to the farthest point that I could possibly imagine myself as a teenager. And I think as a youth, it's easier to maybe grasp those long distant visions. But I did work backwards from that. So, so for me, it was, I want to compete at the Mr. Universe. Well, to be the Mr. Universe, you have to be a national champion. To be a national champion, you have to be a provincial champion. To be a provincial champion, you have to be a local champion. To be a local champion, you need to have some muscles. To get some muscles, I need to do some workouts. <laughs> you know, And so you can bring it, if you work backwards from the big vision. Now, I never ended up winning the Mr. Universe or the Mr. Olympia. I got to the Mr. Universe and I carried as far as my physical capabilities could take me. Um, but that opened up a whole bunch of doors that I, I didn't imagine, which led to the ultimate uh, expression of what I wanted to do. And it turned out even better than I could have imagined as a 15-year-old. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the beautiful things, you know, is sometimes we we it, I, I'm seeing obviously a huge mirror here with my fighting career. I didn't I didn't ever necessarily, you know, it wasn't a lifelong dream to be UFC champion. I think I was 11 or 12 years old when the first UFC started coming out and I loved watching it, but I wasn't like this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. And um you know, I, as I got into MMA, it was like, cool, let's see how far we can go. Then when I was in the UFC, it was like, all right, let me see if I can win a belt. And I never got there, but I got a lot further than I thought I ever set out for. And I learned so much along the way, like the, the juice was worth the squeeze, you know, it was worth it in every facet. Yeah. And I think that's part of, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, Jordan Peterson. And I think he expresses that it's about going on, uh, an adventure, uh, in life and, you know, embracing the, the risk. And of course, as a UFC fighter, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to embrace much more risk than that, than maybe like going to war or something, um, you know, where they're, they're shooting at you, but it's, it, you're going to pay a price in life regardless. We all end up dead. Uh, why not go on the adventure of your life while you're in it? And I think that's a message that uh, people really need. They're so concerned with their social media profile or what, um, you know, their commentary might say, or this person or that, as opposed to saying, you know, let's just go, let's go, like you said, let's, let's go see where this leads and take the adventure. And so what if you go broke? And so what if you get broken down? Uh, so what if, uh, you, 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 some, some relationships don't work out? Um, at least you put forth your effort and usually the, the self-discovery is worth the adventure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm reminded of something. I just brought up this topic not long ago. Uh, have you read, um, what is it? Uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus? I have, I think, um, you've so all Harari yeah, is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And so in, in, and I loved them both, but in Homo Deus, he talked about the potential of down the road, you know, with medical advancement and technological advancement, the potential for humanity to not become immortal, but amortal, meaning that they live forever, uh, set aside, a you know, um, some type of accident, like a car accident or getting your head chopped off or getting shot in the brain. You basically, you live forever unless you have the deathly accident. And he said, if we, if humanity ever reaches this stage, what we'll find is, is there's a lot less, there'll be a lot less people that want to risk their investment. So, Right now, we have Laird Hamiltons in the world that are willing to ride 50-foot waves and get towed in and totally change the sport of, of uh, big wave surfing. We've got you know, my buddy Andy Galpin, who's a Navy SEAL, who still you know, does uh, base jumps and, and jumps off you know, 30,000 feet with an oxygen mask and a, and a squirrel suit. We've got guys that like, truly 
you know, they might be, you know, oh, extreme sports, that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but also there, there's no, there, there's a fear of death. That's what makes it exciting. But at the same point, they're saying yes to actually living. And one of the downloads that I had recently, especially through this pandemic, is how many people aren't living right now? You know, like, like I, we think of this down the road in Yuval's, uh, you know, picture of the one possible future with amor- immortal beings. And it's like, we're, we, there's very few people right now that are actually laying it on the line and saying yes. And I don't mean just, you know, laying their life on the line for an extreme sport, but not a lot of people are, are digging in and saying like, I'm willing to take the risks necessary to truly live. And you brought up Jordan Peterson. I, I know I'm rambling here, but you brought up Jordan Peterson. I know he's learned a lot from Joseph Campbell and, uh, for anybody that wants to dive deep, the power of myth is phenomenal. But through the hero's journey, I think a lot of people are getting stuck in the refusal phase where they see how they can make it through. They understand the challenges that are ahead and they say, nope, I don't want it. Well, you know, um, we've exchanged um, comfort for happiness or adventure. And I think the, the human spirit requires growth and development and why we're attracted to these stories or historical figures who, you know, beat the odds and went forward. And we're all the product of um, 10,000 generations of heroic journeys, whether that's, you know, mothers carrying their child after their village has been burned across some horrific thing or, you know, men going to war with warring tribes that were trying to destroy their family and giving up their lives, but, um, and so on. And and people who sailed across the oceans and hiked over the mountains and experienced extreme levels of hardship, which are for most of us are not comprehensible. I mean, if you read Francis Nagano's story, for example, the current, you know, heavyweight champion of the world, I mean, it really puts into perspective how comfort how comfortable we've become. And there's a cost to that comfort. And I think the cost is the contraction of the human spirit. And there's this, this ease that has crept into the world of convenience. It's all about convenience. And we've actually turned the efficiency mechanisms of our uh, which come with the physiology of our brains, which you want to preserve energy as a survival mechanism. But we've become so technologically advanced recently is that people have forgot that the human spirit the, the, is, is far greater than any technological innovation. I always think of kind of Darth Vader and the Death Star comment where he's telling the general was like, you know, he, he's telling them that the, the ability to destroy star systems is ins- insignificant to the power of the force. And I, I, I really resonated with that statement because that is the realm of the mystic, the realm of the hero's journey, who eventually becomes the mystic because what he's been able to access as an individual has become kind of a mythical it, it's a mythical energy, which is frankly in every single person. If it's, it's, but oftentimes it requires a dragon to come to downtown and burn the village. And, you know, maybe that's where we are in society right now with the current situation. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that. And I think that, I mean, I don't love that. That's where, where we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves, but um, I love that 
what you're speaking to this potential of the force, you know, it is within all of us. Like the, the Neo in the matrix is each and every one of us. It's untapped. Um, yeah. Yeah. Luke, and Luke I think Skywalker is every single one of us. Yeah. yeah Christ is every single one of us. Them. Absolutely. Brother. Well, let's, mm-hmm. let's continue on your path. You know, obviously I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a sibling at a young age. It's, it's clear to me as an outsider looking in that that had a big impact on you and why, you know, obviously I, I shared some of the same sentiments towards education and the medical system from a very young age. Um, you probably took a deeper dive into health and wellness and understanding macros and micronutrients and things like that through your bodybuilding career. What allowed you to continue to develop on this path in terms of understanding reality different and wanting to, to do what you do in the world now? Well, you know, because um, I think you're familiar with some of these areas, I think we'll go into places I don't normally chat about. And uh, when I was 22 years old, uh, I was at university. I was in my final year of university and I uh, was experimenting. I was running all sorts of experiments. And one of them was using uh, LSD. And I had a physics, uh, actually, he turned out being a I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, I could probably do it. He was a, he ended up becoming the head uh, of the Gottlieb Space Center many years later. And he was this physicist and I was this jock and we did all these experiments. And one of those things in consciousness research, we were experimenting with LSD and we would kind of uh, do all these, you know, mental trials and, uh, and, and kind of look into how our brains worked and, you know, the suspension of time and all these kind of uh, body identification things. And, uh, unfortunately, one time, or maybe fortunately, I obtained some LSD, and I believe it was cut with strychnine, which is a, a rat poison, which sometimes is used, and I overdosed. And um, when that happened, um, I, I, I went through the death experience, and from the death experience, and I was brought into the presence of divinity, uh, which didn't judge me, by the way. I judged myself within the perfection of that. And I had a life review and then I was taken through uh, various levels of hell into different realms and through a, a number of different incarnations, which was pretty wild for a guy that had never had any exposure to uh, reincarnation, uh, consciousness, research, psychedelics, you know, everything was pretty, uh, pretty rural and bland and, and, and concrete. And having survived that experience, and come back, it um, recontextualized my view of the world so radically that um, I, uh, I was then like, well, much of the things that people were chasing seemed to be like kindergarten. And I began to dive into the more spiritual realms and meditation and got into Eastern philosophy and mysticism and, um, you know, psychological capabilities of the human uh, and and that sent my direction certainly in a, a radically different course. Yeah, I'll say I I, I had heard of that before as uh, you know the the strychnine stuff as as you know either it was true on occasion or it was a CIA thing, and then I just don't know if what was conspiracy theory or what wasn't. Did you actually? Because it, it, it prevents you from breathing. Did you start to asphyxiate on some level? or, or Yeah, I just... thought I was dying. I, th- I felt that I was dying. And then, you know, if anyone's done LSD, uh, then I, 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 I remember feeling that death was coming and I ran out into the hallway to, to face. I decided that I was going to face death and I was going to fight it with everything that I had. And 
uh, I went through a number of different things. I won't get into all the details. It take me two weeks, but at one point, I completely passed out and lost consciousness, and that's when I experienced a death experience. And for people who've ever done that, you just don't normally pass out on LSD. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was a deep dive, and uh, fortunately, I, I came out of it. And what was interesting is I felt that. All uh, in that time, and about two weeks after, I felt like you know a piano was going to fall on my head or something because it felt like all possibilities of life actually existed, but we're conditioned along a causality paradigm, a Newtonian paradigm of of A goes to B, B goes to C goes to D. So we're actually not witness because of our the way our structure of our brains are is that we see life as kind of this linear pedestrian world, and in this case. I really believe that I died in that quantum reality, if you were, but somehow was able to jump into this other uh, potential timeline while retaining my awareness of that time. And it happened when I was 22, which was the same time that when my uh, sister died. And that was quite interesting. And, um, but I, you know, somehow I was able to get through it. And from that, I realized that there was a whole different paradigm of possibility. And if we think about it, you know, the things that happen in our life, okay, yes, there's this kind of linear life. I get up, I eat my breakfast, I work out, I do this podcast, I do, you know, I do the, whatever your routine is. But the things that really impact our lives, it's almost not predictable. You know, you walk down the same street every week, or you go on all these different trips, and then you meet the love of your life. And or you're involved in some tragic car accident or some sort of, unex- you get a, an illness or these unexpected things happen to us suddenly without prior warning or advance in life. And they're oftentimes uh, invitations disguised as, as tragedy. And uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's, it's interesting how that happens or it's sometimes it's, it's, it's the unexpected uh, gifts that life brings. And so those don't seem to come from a linear realm. They seem to come from a nonlinear realm, something that you can't necessarily predict. Um, and it's important to be able to recognize those and to be able to take up the adventure when it calls. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I just had, I just recorded, this will come out later than our podcast. I'm going to get ours out next week, but um, the Quantum Revelation uh, author, Paul Levy, it's a fantastic book. He, he really marries quantum physics um, to spirituality, and you get you know it's it's told in the way that that I think bridges the gap for anybody coming from one particular angle to this topic. But yeah, what you're speaking to there, it, uh, you know, and spoiler alert for people who haven't read the Harry Potters, I just finished you know with my son, and it reminds me of the end, you know, how Harry comes back, you know that the these parallel realities that exist within, and then you know maybe maybe the Wade that died actually did take a death. It also reminds me of um. The Immortality Key with Brian Maruscu. Have you heard of that book? Yeah. So yes. this this idea, uh, whether it's true or not, but that in early Christianity, these were mystical Christians, you know, the Gnostics and people like that, and that they had carried the traditions from ancient Greece with the Eleusinian mysteries and likely prior in through ancient Egypt and maybe on back to Atlantis. But this idea, this concept that we would initiate ourselves through a death experience so that we would then, you know, death, die before dying so we would truly know how to live. I believe that is so accurate. And as I think it was, uh, you know, I'm a 
I'm a seventies and eighties psychedelic guy. So, you know, Pink Floyd, uh, I think it was that the people, men live lives of quiet desperation and, um, yeah, hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way I believe was one of the lines. And, and it, and I think there's a quiet desperation that is spread across the public right now. And part of it is because people have outsourced their sense of authority to other people under and because they're so fearful but if they might die whether that's an ego death amongst their friends because they're sh- choosing to support an idea that might not be supported by the people in their group or they're they're worried about what their boss is going to say or what their social media tyrants are going to you know cut them off or whatever and and people are looking through this lens of you know, what is the comforts of life that you've acquired and the acquisitions? Because we're living in this, you know, this super extraordinary state of unbelievable levels of wealth. I'm always, I'm always blown away, but, you know, we have these phones, for example, which most people have these phones, which is a broadcasting station. It's a, it's a repository of virtually every single great thinker that ever was available is available at the touch of a button and, 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 long or summary form. We have the ability to communicate like we're doing now. We, we have access to virtually everything and people are scared of their own shadows to, and, and then we kowtow to those who choose to be our, um, what I call weak tyrants. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, (laughs) there's no doubt about it. I've got a, um, my, my buddy JP Sears who's been on the podcast I love yeah, JP, by the way. He's got some really awesome. cool shirts. And I've got I've got one of his new ones that says fact. I don't trust the fact checkers. And I've been wearing that around Texas. And I've it's amazing how many head nods and smiles and yeah, man, I agree, you know. Um and and not so much in the city of Austin. You know, that the 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 Yes. Well Austin has become a satellite of the of the problem of of Silicon yeah, Valley. Absolutely. You know? It's uh which is it's a weird which is an inflated sense of importance. Yeah, it's a very weird, very weird thing, you know. And that, yeah, that inflated sense of importance, I, I really recommend people read my favorite book of 2020, The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. Um, just a fantastic expose of what's off culturally that allows for cancel culture and, and shit like that to exist. But, you know, aside from that, um, just speaking back to what you were saying, you know, on, on people that maybe are on the fence about going against the grain or speaking their truth or really, you know, wanting to take a closer look. And maybe they have taken a closer look at, at what appears to be real about, I mean, look, you know, the first, the first inclination that I had that something was off was simply from a health and wellness standpoint. Like our government has never looked out for us on food. We spray nasty ass chemicals into the ground. There was an advertisement from the CDC for DDT to be sprayed into our plants. And what they showed in the advertisement was people, you know, them spraying these giant sprayers in a field right next to people having a picnic. You know, they're out on park benches eating sandwiches and they've got their 1950s clothes on and they're smiling and, you know, dancing and breathing in these fumes and like DDT is so safe. You can sniff it while you're you're eating, you know, it's like, yeah, only I, I after the fact. Of them spraying babies. Yeah. And you see that. So, so it's only after the fact where we're like, oh, we're running a human experiment. The powers that be are incentivized to not figure it out until later. And 
here we are still in the human experiment, experimenting with a brand new shot that's never been taken before and experimenting with uh, social engineering and, and all sorts of different things. But um, I just offer that, you know, like JP told me, he said, as it turns out, and this was a gift to me because I was on the fence with following and the podcast and all these different things. And he's like, you know, I was worried about that too. And he, and he had 2 million fa- uh, followers on Facebook. He's like, I was worried about that too. But as it turns out, there's a whole population of people that actually want to know the truth. And yeah. for everybody that's left, I've gained more that want to know. And uh, I think that's a, a really good head nod for people that are uncertain about where they may stand with their family or where they may stand with their friends or where they may stand in their job. And um, if we you know, continue to wait on somebody else to be the, the, the Luke Skywalker of the day or somebody else to be the Neo in the Matrix, we're not going to have enough to stand up for ourselves and really change the course of history from where we stand right now. You know, I think JP is a great example of how courage is contagious. And, you know, he's got a new family. Uh, he's got a, just had a little baby and, with his lovely wife, Amber. And he had a lot to lose by taking a stand for freedom of speech and courage and, you know, um, was attacked. I know we were one of his early sponsors because I, I, I believe that comedy is one of the best forms of education. And I love supporting comics. I think it's why people like Joe Rogan have become so popular because they're able to recontextualize the insanity of the human condition in a way that allows insight to happen. And JP has done a fantastic job of spreading that. And, you know, he's also a testament. You, he, he's extremely fit. He's, he's very thoughtful. He's articulate and he's funny. But most importantly, he, he represents a, a kind of the, the, the jester, the fool in the arcana, which the, in order to become a master, one has to be willing to be fooled. You have to be willing to be laughed at and condemned. And by doing that, you gain, I think, a certain level of wisdom in that, you know what? The condemnation of others is not so bad. In fact, it's sometimes more desirable than the acknowledgments because who wants to hang around a, a bunch of people with fake smiles and at the, you know, at the wine and cheese parties that's, uh, you know, <laughs> poo-pooing this and contemptuous of every other expression of life and, you know, projecting their ideas and values onto other people and condemning others for their, their brashness or their uh, unrefined tests or not being part of the, uh, you know, kind of this conceptualization of, a, of elitism. And uh, or or you know you know ra- the radicalness that has emerged with just these crazy ideas and rewriting history through a very narrow lens as opposed to having balanced journalism. And what's interesting is is comedy has now superseded journalism in our society. It, it, you know the comics are, are talking more truth than what is purported the trusted authorities. It's, it's, it's kind of comical. It is. It's, it's comical. It's ironic. It reminds me of, uh, you know, a quote that Czech always drops is that I think it's, I think it's one of Rumi's quotes that in order to know God, one must first become a heretic. Yes. And that, that just resonates so, so absolutely true. You know, and I, I really love JP and the work that he's doing. Um, and I love the work that you're doing. You know, you've, you've built a wealth of knowledge 
Uh, I appreciate the deep dive in LSD. I know we could continue on that. And maybe if there's, if there's more uh, along that path amongst the medicines, uh, perhaps you can, you can divulge, but uh, tell us more about, you know, what you continue to educate yourself with, because you have a wealth of knowledge and it's, it's really where I started. You know, when I was fighting, I wanted to know everything I possibly could about the human body, because if I could be more flexible or if I could lose more fat, or if I had an easier time cutting weight, then I knew it would help me in the cage. Um, Talk about your continued education in terms of understanding uh, everything about the human machine, because you understand athletics and everything. And I want to take a deep dive into bioptimizers and what you guys have created. Well, thank you. Um, well, I think that's part of the value of finding a physical discipline that you enjoy doing is that there is a connection with this wondrous machine, which we seem to be inhabiting called the human body, uh, which is, I mean, once you really start investigating it, it becomes fascinating. And in application of sport, um, what happens, you know, sport is going to expose, say, the limitations on the higher end side. And by doing that, it forces someone who wants to, you know, achieve a certain level of skill level to embark upon, well, how do I, how do I overcome what is my current limitations or perceived limitations to get to a component where I'm able to do the things that I want to do, whether that's throwing a strike, whether it's building muscle, whether it's, you know, running or some skills associated with sport, you eventually lead to physiology. And in in physiology, you you start to develop self-awareness and there's a separation in both your body and your mind and that you're, you are execute your, your consciousness, if you will, and people will call that mind, whatever you want to call it is, is executing a set of physical tasks that you may or may not be able to do in sports. You are continuously coming up with failure. In other words, that you're not able to execute the thing that you want to do. And so you have to understand, well, well, why can't I do that? And when you, you know, whether that's having extensive cardio or a skill set you know, wrestling or grappling or striking, and then you start learning and drilling it. And then you start to see that, oh, I can make these changes. And then, of course, you seek out masters, someone who's able to produce that skill, and they're able to insight, well, you know, if you do this and do this, well, then you can develop that skill. And many of those are related to conditioning the body. And then you start to see, well, if I eat crappy food and try to do this versus eating good food, I'm able to, good food, you know, makes a difference. And then you run into uh, challenges in life. And, and challenges, for the most part, all the people that I'm very impressed with in the health and wellness field, in particular, which is my you know, field of interest, almost all of them have experienced extraordinary challenges. And like the best companies are usually the companies where the founder had some terrible situation that happened to them that nobody could help. And they went on this journey to figure out what is and made some discovery. And turns out that that product or that service was able to help, you know, thousands or tens of thousands and of people. That story is all too common amongst what I would call the best, com- uh, the best pro- companies and the best educators. And for me, um, after competing at the Mr. Universe contest in 2003, I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. And, and I met a, a master afterwards, this Dr. O'Brien, who inst- told me that I had learned to build the body from the outside in, not the inside out. And he instructed me in the ideas of 
enzymes and probiotics and digestive health. And this was radically different than anything I'd learned. I'd learned the physiological capabilities of training and, and the dietary components to a quote unquote performance-based diet. And performance in this case was um, an aesthetics component in bodybuilding. And, but I, I was, fa- I, my original 15 year old self started training because I wanted to be healthier and stronger because I wanted to avoid a fate uh, that my sister had. And so the opportunity that came out of that collapse humbled me enough that I needed to know something. Cause I said to him, I didn't know what he's doing. And that's when he said that quote, you know, you, I'm going to teach you how to build a body from the inside out. And from that, I recognized that in all my nutrition training, um, all my education in university, especially back in the time that I learned, I started in the 1990 and university. So it's a long time ago. And, but this time was 14 years later. And even though I had the best coaches, no one had talked about this. And that was that, you know, people always say you are what you eat. Well, there's a really important digestive process that undergoes this process. And through this uh, process, we need to be able to turn our food into building blocks and energy. And the technological innovations of this, the, the last 80 years have changed our food quality. It's disrupted our microbiome. It's destroyed the enzymes presence. We're consuming all these factory foods, which exhaust our ability to convert food into useful materials. And if you don't convert your food into useful materials, what happens is that you build uh, you, you, you end up sick or you end up having an improper digestive system and, and poor digestion leads people um, into a whole host of diseases. And, and so I began to learn these principles, apply myself. And then we coached thousands of people because uh, I wanted them to avoid the similar fate that I did. And that turned out all right. And then eventually that led to our company and that led to, we were always into human performance and how do we optimize it? Both Matt and I were personal trainers and advocates and we loved it. And so we went forward and, and that became a, a, an awesome journey as well. And now today by optimizers is one of the most trusted and recognizable brands and what we call biological optimization, optimizing every single point, including digestion, the uh, health, um, the uh, nervous system and brain function in the body. And we're working through it in a, a, a systematic way. Absolutely, brother. You covered, you covered so much there. Um, you know, you are, uh, are you vegetarian or vegan? Yeah, why, you know, I always laugh about this because, uh, you know, labels are really interesting. I, well, I, 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 yeah, I figured, yeah, I figured, I, I figured I'd ask because I don't know if, if plant medicines played a role in this or not. Yes. And I just, cool. I just think that, you know, one of the, one of the things I want to tie into is the importance of digestion for everybody, but specifically for those who eat and consume a whole lot of plant material, uh, there can be genetic components that can only be rewritten through a lot of the, the digestion additives that you guys have created, the, the helpers, I should say. Yeah, well, what ha- like, so let's back the truck up. So I grew up uh, living in the woods and my mom growing an organic garden, which we used to make fun of her because uh, we didn't understand the power of organics. But I was very lucky when I went to university. I, then I was eating non-organic food. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this isn't the same thing. And that led to my study of just basic nutrition. And then, um, so I grew up, you know, hunting and fishing and all these things in a rural community. So I was, I would say my foundational components was uh, just a regular 
diet of meat and potatoes sort of thing. But um, in 2000, um, I went through another life-changing experience when I got involved in uh, spirituality through another inadvertent (laughs) exploration of uh, consciousness. And I read a book about six months after I started meditating by a guy who was Swami Sri Tesla was his name, which was Yogananda's guru, wrote Autobiography Yogi, and, and it was called The Holy Science. And he put forth a set of suggestions that would advance um, my meditation practices, which was the suggestion of a, of a plant-based diet. So I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll just experiment with it. I don't know. It seems like a decent argument this guy's putting forward. And I did it for two weeks. And that went well. And I went another two weeks and that went well. And so then I went two months and I just said, I guess I won't eat meat anymore. So I haven't eaten meat in the last 20 years. Um, I do have eggs occasionally and I'll have cheese occasionally. You know, I'm not like a vigilante. I mean, I, I had an extraordinarily disciplined life for about 20 years uh, when I was a competitive athlete and uh, I, I learned a lot from it and I gained a lot from it, but there was also some limitations. So I identify as, as that's the word you use today. I identify as a, as a, <laughs> as a, as a plant-based guy. So people would call me uh, a, basically a vegetarian, I guess I did do a raw food um, diet for two years as an experiment, um, which was extraordinary. I learned a lot. There were some limitations and it certainly is, you, if you want to be the outcast at any social occasion, be a raw food uh, vegan. <laughs> I just, I, I, and that was cool to do. And um, so I think I've explored a whole gamut and it just works for my physiology. And Matt, my business partner is a keto guy because that's what works for his physiology. And we're actually, um, we'll be publishing a book on, on, on how to select the correct diet for your own genetics and your own goals and your own lifestyle and what's sustainable for you. And we come at it at a unique method because we're part of the same company and have what most people would say is huge disparities in our dietary philosophies. But if you actually dive below the hood, then you can discover what, what the truth is. And, and, and that's the fun part that we're exploring right now. I absolutely love that you brought brought up that because that was that was really where I was going to bridge to next is that you're non dogmatic about it and I think that's such an important piece. The genetic component is really important. It's something I've mentioned before because I've had guys like the carnivore doc Paul Saladino on this podcast and he brings up some good points. But um, you know, every time I've run carnivore, I break out with this rash. Never had a keto rash, but I always get it on carnivore. And as it turns out, for my genetics, I do need. I get a lot of my micronutrients from meat only. So I'm only going to get omega-3 fatty acids that I can use like DHA and EPA from meat or maybe marine algae, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to convert alpha-linolic acid into it. That's just a genetic property. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't methylate well. I'm not going to produce or take beta carotene from carrots and sweet potatoes and convert that into usable vitamin A. And that's a critical component of the body. Not everyone's like me, right? But at the right. same time, um, I think I think that's just why it's important to be non-dogmatic. Now, at the same time, why I do better eating some plants with my meat is because I have the genetics that love fiber. And anybody that studied the microbiology and understands like, yeah, we've, we'd likely had a wide variety of foods. Like I just feel better. I feel healthier when I'm having some, some lower uh, carbohydrate um, 
cruciferous veggies, things like that, sauerkraut. I always feel better and my poop looks better. That's Paul Check's measurement. You know, what are the poop? When you do the poop lineup and the big perfect poop sitting at the end of there, the poop police, they're going to analyze every one of your shits. And if, if, you're, if you're not pooping right, you're probably not digesting right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's really great about where we are now, uh, I think in what we call uh, biological optimization, some people call it biohacking, is that as an individual, we can um, access um, not only expertise, people like Paul Cech uh, and, and various other, uh, you know, very influential and well-thought and well-schooled and well-educated people, self-educated, I might add, too. They've, they've, they've taken the time to really go deep in these areas. But now we can correlate um, maybe our own observations and explorations with actual specific testing. We can get a genetic test. I mean, that's, that's, that's extraordinary in itself. We can get a hormone test. We can check to see for heavy metals. We can look at our GI map and see our bacteria. We can, we can explore our epigenetical advantages and disadvantages. And I believe that all diets have um, advantages and disadvantages, which are going to vary on a bell curve based on the individuals. And we always hear about the extremes um, of the bell curve, the people on the far end and uh, of both sides, the people that totally hate it and almost killed them and the other people that it healed whatever condition they had. And that's used either in the marketing or in the attack of a great, of a philosophy. But the truth with the individual is the N of one and do the explorations yourself, run some experiments, run some tests. And then what I encourage people to do is to correlate these observations these self-observations of what's going on and how do you feel? What do you look like? Uh, how's your crap going? Uh, how's your brain fog? Are you tired? Are you sleeping well? Um, do you have a lot of energy? Is your sense of joy and well-being uh, balanced properly? Um, it, or do you have, are, are you able to achieve your goals and function properly? All of these things are checkpoints that allows you to cross-correlate scientific data with real-world lifestyle. And this is what we advocate by optimizers is to optimize your biology, not, you know, speak a dogmatic idea to a bunch of people and say, well, thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that. This kind of dietary tribalism. It's like, well, what can I learn? And, you know, from Matt, uh, who has a very different diet philosophy, I've learned so much because he's been help, helps expose the weaknesses within my own diet. I help expose the weaknesses in that. And through exploration, we can offset the liabilities of any given diet with, uh, you know, better nutri nutrification of, or the elements that I'm not getting and, and selective foods that I might not have gone before. So when people live in these little narrow boxes, then they're almost always going to miss uh, really big insights that could have horrific consequences for them down the road. Absolutely, brother. Well, I appreciate you breaking that down for us. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sticky topic for some people, but I love getting the variety on this podcast and, and for, you know, really for, for all the reasons that you've mentioned there. It, health above all else is a personal process. And uh, until we take that responsibility for ourselves to educate ourselves and then have the discipline to walk the walk, uh, it's going to remain outside of us. You know, we either give that power away to a guy in a white lab coat or the latest genius with a perfect body on Instagram or someone else, you know, and, and, and until we really take that on for ourselves as a, um, 
a firewalk that we have to engage with and continually, you know, spark the awe and curiosity of what makes us tick, what gives us the most health, what brings us to the best, most optimized way of living. Um, we're never going to really solve that riddle. But I think, you know, with what you're speaking to, you know, we have all these tests available. We have um, the knowledge bases, the, the Paul checks exist, the, the different people that can come out and say, and then, and then it's just a matter of trying it on, you know, try it on for size. So absolutely beautiful points there. Let's talk magnesium. Magnesium has got a massive role in the human body. You guys have my favorite magnesium product on the planet. And I want to, I want to finish with the, uh, with a deep dive into magnesium because there's so much about this that I don't actually understand that I'd like you to, to, to school me on brother. Well, thank you. Um, well, magnesium is an interesting mineral. I call it the miracle mineral. And the reason I do that is because, you know, we, we often look through the lens of life through our very narrow band of what's happened in the last one, two, three years. And to understand the magnesium riddle, we have to go back 80 years. And what happened in World War II is that we ended the war with uh, the dropping of the nuclear bomb and and then what happened afterwards is the United States became a dominant power in the world. Electronics, travel, distribution, shipping became very widespread and people wanted, you know, pasta from Italy and orange juice from Florida and coffee from South America and cars from you know, Detroit and, and, you know, French pastries from Paris and all these things started to happen after the world. The world became very small and people, massive manufacturing came into uh, to the era and people moved away from farms and into cities to so they could participate in the manufacturing and distribution of goods. And what happened is, you know, at the, the turn of the century, we had 98% of the population had a garden or knew how to grow food or, or, you know, had their own chickens and cows and things like that in their local area. But when everybody started moving into the cities, we started, the governments of the world started to recognize, well, we've got a food crisis. We've got a baby boom, a population explosion. Uh, we have an explosion in wealth and people are living in cities and driving cars and living in, you know, the rural neighborhoods and all those sort of things. And there was a food crisis. We don't know how to make enough food. Basically, we didn't have enough people to produce food as we had traditionally. So there was a the development of agricultural boards and they started getting into, you know, common elements of food. We needed so much wheat and we need so much soy and so much corn, all these different things happen. And what happened is we started using machines and factory farming. And when we did that, we started adding chemicals to the, to the food, to growing rates and that, that disrupted the soil organisms. It disrupted the, the, the value of the food started to deplete. We started using leftover nitrogen on the soil to grow the plants and the plants weren't able to extract the minerals from the soil. They, they use chemicals to kill the bugs and that, that allowed the microbes that were essential to growing these to not be able to extract the nutrients and the plants got weak and then they started genetically modifying and all these different interactions which were sort of band-aid solutions to kind of keep the band rolling, if you will, uh, evolved over the 80 years. And so now food doesn't really, isn't really food the way our ancestors have. And that's a, created a whole bunch of problems for society. And during that process, one of the key elements that was lost um, in, our, in our nutrient profile was magnesium. And magnesium's involved in now, they've discovered over 600 different processes that magnesium is essential to in the body, particularly in regulating uh, vasodilation in the body to reduce muscle cramping 
So, and, and that would also deal with, you know, migraine headaches to PMS. Uh, it's a control mechanism for the development of healthy bones. It's involved in the uh, enzymatic process for blood sugar regulation. And ironically, it exists in a two to one ratio to calcium. And we have high calcium diets in North America with low magnesium. And what happens, that causes a drop of uh, both calcium and magnesium. And so we get calcium deposits in the body. And we also uh, have low levels of magnesium. And to, calm, uh, to make it even more complex, as we are exposed to electromagnetic uh, pollution, you know, cell phones, radiation, uh, you know, Wi-Fi, all these kind of things, what we don't realize is it actually puts a stress on the nervous system because magnesium is involved in calming the nervous system uh, and the development uh, to activate various neurotransmitters, uh, which makes our brain function. So the feeling of anxiety and stress and burnout is directly correlated to massive depletions of magnesium and a disbalance between calcium and magnesium in this regulatory uh, mineral, which is lacking in almost everybody's diet. In fact, Harvard I believe put out a paper recently that said, suggested that we had ma massive magnesium deficiencies. And that has dire consequences for the population. And so, um, you know, as a hard driving guy, a former athlete and, you know, and a serial entrepreneur, a number of years ago, I got into a serious burnout situation because I was working 14 hours a day, seven days a week for several years, not, you know, thinking that I'm Superman and I could do everything. And I got myself into a burnout and after doing some testing, it showed that my electrical transmissions in my brain were like a 70-year-old man. I did some, uh, some specific testing on my mineral profile, and I was low in two alkyl elements, uh, B12 and magnesium. And I thought, well, geez, I'm taking a bit of magnesium. I thought I should be able to manage that. Well, I went through my notes because I remember finding a guy by the name of Charles Poliquin, who was the strength sensei and coached gold medalist in 27 different sports. And I had attended a lecture with him and had asked him a bunch of questions. And he said that magnesium was one of his uh, most used minerals because he said there was different types of magnesiums that affected different types of the body. And it was required in order for these Olympic athletes who are living or experiencing high levels of stress from the volume of training that they were doing. And so I said, well, maybe I got to experiment with these different magnesiums. And that started a series of tests with Matt and I, where we explored virtually every different type of magnesium there was to, to arrive to the conclusion of what magnesiums were usable by the body. What were the most efficient delivery of the system? And when I started doing that, all virtually all my uh, symptoms that I was experiencing went away within a couple months. Um, and yeah, I did have to make some lifestyle changes. I, I dropped the business and, and started introducing some more rest and relaxation in my life and, and things like that. But magnesium was a big difference for me and we built a product. And the next thing you know, it became a, a, an outrageous success because people were seeing all these different benefits from taking high levels of magnesium in their life. And high levels of bioavailable magnesium. Correct. You know? <laughs> no doubt. I mean, talk, talk about some of the subtle differences between these, uh, the magnesiums that you guys have, have included through your, through your own experimentation. Yeah, I'd love to. And well, we've kind of come down to um, seven different types of magnesiums. There's all different kinds. 
uh, that people take. And you have, when it comes to magnesium there, it's a bond and it's bonded to something and that changes the size of the molecule. And that bond determines where it's going to be absorbed by the body. This is what I've learned about it. And so you could be taking a magnesium supplement um, and it might be addressing one area of your body, but it's not utilizable by the rest. Um, and it turns out there's about seven different magnesiums that are very, very powerful. And, and it was very hard to put them in a capsule. There was a whole, I won't get it all the deal, but there was a lot of challenges and I couldn't figure out why someone hadn't done this because I had like, I don't know, 20 different types of magnesium on my counter that I was doing all these experiments with. Well, what happens when I would dose up with this or dose up with that? And so uh, the seven different magnesiums, there's citrate. Um, that's one that's used often to, to draw water into the intestines. You have to be very careful with citrate. It's great for helping people who are constipated, but you can't generally take high dosages of it or you get disaster pants. So um, it's a little bit, it's one of those ones in the magnesium where it's really interesting. There's uh, magnesium bisglycinate, uh, which has uh, been shown in studies to be good for uh, dealing with high blood pressure, it decreases blood pressure through vasodilation, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis. People that suffer from migraine headaches, often because there's a vasoconstriction, usually as an inflammatory response to some undigested protein. Uh, but that really can help with migraines, uh, depression. Uh, magnesium is critical in dealing with serotonin. And I'm not saying it treats depression, but low mood is often because we don't manufacture enough neurotransmitters. And that's a combination of, of both magnesium, key uh, amino acid digestion, and the right bacteria cultures inside your intestinal tract. Magnesium malate, this is one that's really connected uh, with enzymatic processes so oftentimes it's a key element that deals with our energy metabolism. Ironically, it's also some studies showing how it removes aluminum from the body, which is a big issue because a lot of people use aluminum pans. There's uh, magnesium torate, uh, one of my favorites, great for cardiovascular health. Um, it's also good for overall co uh, cognitive function and memory. So torate uh, use, has uh, a taurine act similar to a, a GABA, which is a gamma aminobutric acid, uh, which is a neurotransmitter that's kind of that clear Zen space. I used to drink a GABA tea at a little tea place for that feeling. And you can get that from magnesium. You can get that from magnesium torate. I really like that. And a lot of ladies like this one, because it seems to be very good in addressing issues of PMS, which is serious cramping. Uh, I actually have a friend, uh, Josh Holland, uh, who you had to have cramping so much. He's Madonna's trainer and a bunch of other successful people. And he used to get these kind of twitches because he would so relax. And he said he started using it and all his twitches went away, which was interesting. And I, I believe it could be correlated with Torate that's in the product. There's magnesium orotate. Um, we've all heard of athletes who develop uh, heart arrhythmias or their, their, their heart doesn't pump at a normal rate. Well, it's it, magnesium orotate's been shown to deal with the regulation of your heart uh, beating. It's also involved in DNA and RNA repair and precursors for that as, and also the production of ATP, which is, of course, the energy source of, of, of cells and muscle tone. So it's really, really cool. There's um, magnesium aspartate, which is also uh, involved in neuromuscular cardiac functioning as well, uh, which is really, really cool. 
And now we've, we're dealing with our newest one, which we just put in, uh, which is sucrosomial, uh, which its absorbability is, I think, superior to everything that I've been able to witness. And we've just added it to our latest formulations. Uh, and it's, it's, it seems that it accelerates the benefits that you get uh, from all of the magnesiums in lower dosages. And so we have a philosophy of, of um, dosing up through a systematic way um, to get the benefits. And then once you get the benefits, you kind of stay at that level for, you know, maybe 30, 60, 90 days, depending on how depleted you are. And then you, you, then you lower your dosage until you just feel good and you have what you're burning in your lifestyle. <laughs> That's a fantastic deep dive into magnesium, brother. Um, you mentioned that it can help detox the body. I think that's a, an incredible piece not to be overlooked. Most people, when they, when they hear, you know, they see, uh, <laughs> you know, some, some thin lady on QVC talking about the, the necessity of, of detoxing and, and, uh, you know, we, we need to, we need to clear and detox. And a lot of people are off put by that. Um, because they don't think there's any hard science behind it, but look no further than our food supply. Look no further than the, the, uh, electrical pollution that we deal with on a daily basis. And I think it's, it's absolutely critical. I mean, getting the two best investments I've ever made in my health and wellness, probably uh, outside of educating myself, were a um, finished style sauna with the hot rocks, as well as a cold plunge, the plunge, you know, and, yep. and those two things, I mean, as far as, as far as oscillating, vasodilating, vasoconstriction, and actually being able to pump stuff out of my body have, have made me orders of magnitude more healthy. And uh, I just, I just think that they're obviously, you know, they're, they're big chunks for people to, to, to purchase. I'm not going to say that those are easy purchases for me. I certainly had to do a chunk it over time, but talk a bit about magnesium's role in detoxing the body and why that's so important right now. Well, specifically um, it, the, the studies are, are, well related to aluminum um and a lot of people are suffering from aluminum poisoning which is often uh, associated with precursors to um you know things like parkinson's and dementia and, and other neurological conditions um and we've used aluminum cook pots a lot or people get exposed to aluminum and the aluminum, of course, we all need a little bit of all these elements in very, very trace amounts, but in excess, it has deterious effects in the body and magnesium can offset that. The other thing is, is, you know, in the case of PMS, PMS is actually a cleansing process, a menstrual cycle for women to ensure that they're dropping the toxins that could disrupt um, pregnancy. And there's a, there's a, there's a total purpose to this for a reason. And when you have heavy metals or you have elements that are disrupting that, and, um, then you could literally make people sterile or you could make them not operate in a proper way. And so magnesium is one of those things that's involved in the relaxation response and vasodilation. And so we're in a highly stimulant based world. And you brought up a good point in with, with cold plunges and you know heat shock protein activation through saunas and these open up not just the um flow to the muscle tissues but deep down in the organs where some of these chemicals can be lodged or inside fat tissue that's not very metabolically active and you've by anything that can create constriction and, di and, and dilation 
will act as a, a pumping motion. And so going from hot and cold will accelerate that. The one thing I would say is people who sweat a lot uh, will often deplete their magnesium levels because you'll sweat out magnesium in that, whether you're from exercise or saunas. And so oftentimes those individuals really notice the difference from magnesium when they take it because it helps, it helps you go through more extreme conditions of detoxification without the deterioris side effects that can be associated with that. So anytime that you involve what I would call the, the, the higher end, you know, like most people don't have the wherewithal to withstand a super hot sauna or to go through a cold plunge. They go, oh my goodness, I wouldn't want to do that. I'll sit on my couch and watch someone do it on television. But when you start going into that, you start stressing your system and those stresses have advantages. And then if you can extend your capability to manage those on a higher level, then you can get even more benefits and accelerate the processes. And we're all about that in what we teach it by optimizers. Wait, this has been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast, brother. Um, obviously, you guys have been a show sponsor and supporter for a long time. Uh, I would encourage everybody to check out Magnesium Breakthrough. Uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes there. But where can people stay in touch with you specifically? Yeah, they can uh, they can go to our site, um, which is, you know, by Optimizer. If you go to www.magbreakthrough.com, they can put in, uh, I think it's uh, King SBU 10 or King, King's BU. If you put yep. that, you get a discount. You can go there. We do have our awesome health course. You can put the show notes in there. You, we also have, uh, you know, we're on Instagram. And I would encourage people to check out our site because, um, you know, I always say you can't supplement your way out of a bad lifestyle. And I created a course called the 84 Days. It's, it's, a, it's a seven-part philosophy that I, I, that I learned over the 30 years where I systematically go through the principles of health. I call it the awesome formula, which involve air, water, exercise, sunlight, optimizers, mental beliefs, and attitude, education, testing, and coaching. And we have an app and you can watch these videos on your app. It's five to 15 minute videos that explain these different nuances and where I learned it and who the research was. And I combine it into a lifestyle that people can learn and apply so that they spend their money in, a, in, a, in an effective way. The other thing is, is we always give a money back guarantee on all our products. And we do that because we want to de-risk it and we want to encourage experimentation and we take the risk waves. If somebody tried our product, doesn't work. Great. We'll give you your money back. Thanks for the experiment and, and keep going forward and try the next thing or the next mission that you're on. And that way that we encourage people like yourself to go explore these things and find out. And large part of people really love our products and our services and but they're only as valuable as how you integrate your lifestyle. So if they want to check us out on Instagram or Facebook or those sort of things. They kind of pump out that information. And uh, you're on one of our podcasts, uh, the Awesome Health Podcast, which you did such an awesome job of explaining some of the aspects of your own journey, which I think was 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 really valuable for our listeners. Thank you so much, brother. I'm uh, looking forward to a bright future alongside with you, Wade. Thank you so much and uh, always a pleasure. And, and maybe next time we'll get deeper into the plant medicines because I know it's a, a passion for both of us. Absolutely, brother. All right. Thanks a lot, Wade. Take care. Take care.